Welcome back, Tough Men. I'm here again for episode 15. Uh, we brought Bill Mack back in for another episode. I think the last one went so well, we decided we'd punish you twice. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so, episode 15, I wanted to talk about when life calls, answer the call, or when the phone rings, answer it, or... Just pick it up. You know, when you're called upon, step up. Absolutely. I don't know what we're going to title it. We're going to leave that up to producer Blake. That's his job. He'll come up with something really good. So with RT out again, I was thinking that tough men, or not really just tough men, but men in general just aren't tough anymore. I kind of look back to generations past, my dad, my grandparents, their parents, and you just look at the resiliency of those people. Oh, yeah, they'd lose a limb, and they just look at you and go, what? It's just a flesh wound. Yeah, exactly. Just put a Band-Aid on it and uh, get back to work. Rub some dirt in it. Yeah, it'd be fun. I just kind of got thinking about, a little bit about how men just aren't as tough as they used to be. And maybe that's a societal problem, too, because everything is so much easier, well, in a sense. It's hard to be tough. You know, you get calluses on your thumbs playing Call of Duty uh, <laughs> versus actually running through the woods. Yeah. I don't, if you get calluses on your thumbs running through the woods, I'm never running through the woods with you. <laughs> I think you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I might be. I might be. But, you know, I was kind of thinking about this a little bit. And, uh, you know, men need to be men. Tough men need to be tough. And I do understand that all men can't be tough. Otherwise, they'd just be called men. For sure. But I want to cover some ideas um, I had about men being better and men being tougher even for men that can't be tough, I think that it'll come across as though they are if they just better themselves in their daily lives. I think ladies like a confident man. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, um, you know, having a little toughness about you, Yeah. Uh, a little personal security. Maybe it's a little appealing. I mean, not to me, but <laughs> maybe to my wife. All right. So anyway, last time you were on, you recommended a book, the uh, Army Field Manual, FM 22100. Mili uh, military Leadership. Today, you sent me a story out of it, and it's kind of a, it's not a long story, it's a short story, but it might take a few minutes. Would it, you mind reading it? it? It's pretty easy, Nick. The nice thing about these manuals, they're written on a seventh grade level. Oh, you should be fine. So I'm I'm not going to, I shouldn't struggle at all. Yeah, if you have any problems with the big words, like subordinates or, you know, German or something like that, just let me know. I'll help you out with it. Sergeant is always confusing to me. It's weird that they put an E in there. Isn't it? Yeah. Sure, we can pick that up. It's a story uh, in there about Sergeant York. And I got to tell you, uh, we talked about it just briefly in the uh, in the last episode, 14, that Nick's FM 22100 that I bought him is different than my FM 22100. They're, they're different years. So in mine, I had to uh, find it online and send it to him so he could read the story because it wasn't in his. But it's about Sergeant York, and, and it's a World War One era story. I can just go into it if you want. Yeah, I think my manual that you bought me, which is really good, um, really good for, I think, business owners, leaders, managers, should probably read it. Yeah. It's got some really good advice in it. You want to know it's crazy? Yeah. So my sister and my brother-in-law live in Los Angeles. Okay. And they teach organizational leadership. Really? One has a master's, one has a PhD. They both never read the book, have they? They have. So I showed up with it at their house <laughs> in L.A. one day, and I pulled it out because this is kind of my number two go-to. Yeah. So Bible, obviously, scripture. Yeah. Like, that's what I need to base everything on. But a lot of times when I find myself in trouble at work, it's kind of of my own creation. Yeah. Because I'm not leading. So right. there's a power vacuum. So the guys are just doing what guys do. Yeah. Because uh, I work with a couple tough guys. Yeah. Uh, you've met one of them. Yeah. He did some work at your house. Yeah, I've met a couple of them, actually. I, I mean, this is this is a tough guy. He's in his uh, early 50s. Yeah. He's had open heart surgery. Okay. He's got an artificial valve. Okay. 
and he's in their backyard digging holes. Did carrying cow valve? I think it was just artificial. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. I should know. Yeah. But I don't off the top of my head. I think there could be plenty of good jokes if he got the cow valve. But, you know, he's picking up 80-pound bags of concrete. Right. He's a tough man. It's 95 degrees. He's wet mixing it in a wheelbarrow by hand. He's yeah. digging holes. So I work with some tough guys. So, you know, when, uh, when I leave a, a power vacuum, if you will, somebody's going to try to fill it. Yeah. So I find myself running back to 22100, FM 22100, and uh, finding out where I'm going wrong. It's funny, you gave me some really good advice from this book a few years ago, and it's kind of just what you were just saying there. You said, imagine you're driving on the highway with no lane markings. I said, yeah. He said, is that how your guys at work picture work life? I said, oh, (laughs) you kind of backed me into a corner there. Yeah, sometimes. I I think, you know, I'm kind of new at this. I'm getting started. I've been going for a few years now, but if the lane markings aren't clear, people just swerve all over the road. They do whatever they want to do. Pretty soon there's going to be a wreck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, anyway, yeah, let's get back to this. If you wouldn't mind going into it and reading the story. Yeah, yeah. It's about Sergeant York. Um, It says here, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to read it straight out of the text. Okay. So I was picking on RT a couple of weeks ago about him reading so fast. Yeah. So I'm going to try not to do you that. slow this down a little bit? I'm going to try to. If I go too slow, you guys can laugh at me. Alvin C. York was born into a poor family in the mountains of Tennessee. As a youth, York was known as a wild hellraiser and with a particular hankering for alcohol, fighting, and gambling until he fell in love with a church-going girl who refused to date him unless he changed his ways. He started reading the Bible and adopted its fundamental teachings as his values. He changed his beliefs, values, and behavior and even became a respected leader in his church. It's a story about you. Uh, I was going to ask you the same thing, but you got to it too quick. (laughs) Ah, man, it could be. I don't know. I did spend a little time in East Tennessee. He was from Paul Mall, which is kind of North Central TV. Okay. TV. Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. North Central Tennessee. Paul Mall. Isn't that a uh, cigarette brand or something? It is, but that's named after the place in London. Oh, okay. The city in Tennessee is named after the place in London, too. Okay. Gotcha. There's your trivia for the day. Thank you. I feel smarter already. (laughs) If only we could get you to look that way. (laughs) Continue, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you want to talk about that anymore, huh? Yeah, I think we're done talking about that. Let's move on. All right. Picks up again here. It says, uh, when he was 30, World War I broke out. He was inducted into the Army and assigned to Captain Danforth's Company G, 328th Infantry Regiment at Camp Gordon, Georgia. It's now Fort Gordon, and that's near Augusta where they play the Masters. I knew you... Never mind. Go ahead. I'm not even going to get into it again. I've made old jokes about you being in the old army. I'm not going to do it again. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, you know that's, all the yeah, old that's... forts and what they used to be named and probably where all the barracks were, but go ahead. I, I don't, strangely. <laughs> I just happen to know this one. Okay. York told Danforth that he would do his duty, but he did, that he did not want to fight and he did not believe in killing enemy soldiers. Captain Danforth was troubled by York's beliefs and feelings. As training progressed, he could see that York was potentially the best soldier in the company. York's mountain life had made him tough, hard-muscled, clear-thinking man. His body and mind were conditioned by years of hunting, plowing, and blacksmithing. He had been an expert shot since boyhood. Captain Danforth would have made York a sergeant, except for his reservations about killing. Captain Danforth tried to convince York that killing enemy soldiers in a just war is not against the word of God. York wouldn't budge. Captain Danforth then discussed York with the battalion commander, Major Buxton, deeply religious man who knew the Bible as well as York. After talking to York, Major Buxton sent him home on leave. To York, he said, that will give you time to do some thinking and praying. If you can then find it in your heart to return with a free conscience, we will take you with us. If you cannot, I will see that you are let out. I didn't think they let people out of the Army. They do. It's usually not that easy, but uh, I got to say... 
get a guy like Buxton there behind you and understanding where you're coming from. Right. Speaking of mentors, we were talking about that on the last episode. Yeah. Sounds to me like uh, Major Buxton should be mentoring Captain Danforth, too. Yeah. But sounds like he was definitely mentoring Sergeant York there. Yeah. And uh, seems like a pretty generous guy. Yeah. To give a guy two weeks leave to go home and think about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He must have been a really good soldier. Yeah. I mean, as it turns out, he was, but yeah. he must have seen something in him for sure. It kind of reminds me of that movie, uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Have you seen that? I think it was based on a World War II. Anyway, kind of same thing, conscientious, conscientious objector. Is that how you say it? Easy for you to say. Yeah, right. A guy didn't want to kill. He wanted to join the Army and serve his nation, but he didn't want to kill. He kind of found a loophole in the end and then uh, kind of became the hero in the end. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, you're all right. There are always lots of ways to serve, whether it's the Army yeah. or your church. You know, that was my, my thing last time was get connected. Yeah. At church, there are lots of ways to serve. You know, you don't have to be up in front of the pulpit, right? Right. Now that uh, job's reserved for a select few. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. God's man. York went home for two weeks. Finally, on the last day of his leave, after searching the deepest regions of his mind and soul, he decided that for him, the highest moral good was to go to war with Company G. He rejoined his company and told Captain Danforth that he had become convinced that he could fight for his country without violating the precepts of his faith. From that day on, York marched in the ranks with a light heart and a clear mind. York changed his own belief about the moral rightness of war. Respected leaders can influence the beliefs, values, and character of subordinates. Yeah, that's really good. It is. And it, it's kind of neat because, you know, you you read about a lot of wars in the Bible. Yeah. Read about righteous anger and you read about them defending God and, and doing the right thing. It's it's ugly business. Yeah. But it's in there. But And you're kind of going back here, you know, respected leaders can influence the beliefs, values, and character of the subordinates. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, those are those are big shoes to wear, knowing that you kind of have that power, not power, um, but you have that influence over somebody else and making sure that you're doing the right thing with it. Oh, I love to tell RT all the time that he sets the tone and the pace here at church. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. I get to smile when I say it because it's true. Yeah. But it's a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of weight because if it's wrong, it's on him. Right. If it's right, he gets the credit. That he usually passes it off to somebody else. <laughs> that way he's got a defense if they're wrong. Exactly. <laughs> he's a smart guy. Yeah. All right, go ahead. York's decision had great consequence when he accomplished an almost unbelievable exploit that displayed his courage and initiative. The essence of Alvin York's life was compressed into four hours on October 8, 1918, in the mud and blood of the Argonne Forest in France. At 6.10 a.m., York's company was ordered to seize a German-held rail point. Hidden in woods overlooking a valley, a German machine gun battalion opened up on the company and killed most of its forward ranks. So not just one machine gun, a bunch of them. A battalion. That's like, I don't know what that is in the infantry because I was an artillery guy. Yeah. You know, they're the queen of battle. We were the king of battle. (laughs) Um, They called us for backup. Okay. But in the artillery, that'd be like 400 guys. Okay. That's a lot. Hey, let's get back to that real quick. In the artillery, how many guys ride around in your tuna can on tracks? Uh, Three. Oh, wow. Okay. Three. You got a driver, a gunner, and a chief. Were you a driver? I was a driver in Korea. Okay. I was a gunner in Korea, and then back in the States as well, and then I was a chief and a platoon sergeant. Oh, nice. I wasn't playing around. Okay. They made me smile and lose my place. Sorry about that. Um, No, it's okay. York, the only surviving non-com or non-commissioned officer. I thought it was non-combatant. No, no, he was definitely a combatant. Okay. you got to stick with the story. All right, here we go. Uh, he He was left in command. He called for the others to move forward. They advanced and succeeded in overcoming the first machine gun nest and taking its crew prisoner. York told someone to see to getting the prisoners to the rear. Then he moved out in advance of his tiny command to see what lay ahead of him. 
He had gone forward for only a few yards when a line of 35 machine guns opened up and pinned him down. The Tennessean found himself trapped and under fire within 25 yards of the enemy's machine gun pits. I mean, even you can hit a, a clay pigeon that's moving at that, at that distance, <laughs> yeah, 25 right? 25 yards, I'm good. <laughs> right? And they got machine guns. He began firing into the nearest enemy position, aware that the Germans would have to expose themselves to get an aimed shot at him. And every time a German head showed up over the parapet, York drilled a bullet into it. After he had shot down more than a dozen enemy gunners in this fashion, he was charged by six German soldiers who came at him with fixed bayonets. York drew a bead on the sixth man, and then on the fifth, he worked his way down the line, and practically before he knew it, the first man in line was charging the eagle-eyed American sharpshooter all by himself. York dropped him with a dead center shot. York again turned his attention on the machine gun pits. Every time he fired, another enemy soldier fell. In between shots, York called for the Germans to surrender. At first, it may have seemed funny to the well-entrenched enemy, but the joke had become rather hollow by the time the Tennessean had killed his 22nd victim. Shortly afterwards, a German officer advanced under a white flag and offered to surrender if York would stop shooting his men. York demanded and received. The surrender of the remaining Germans, having taken a total of 132 prisoners and knocked 35 machine guns out of action. York finally returned to his regiment's lines. He left the prisoners and headed back to his own outfit. Wow. Tough man. So you're talking about a man that wanted to serve. His morals were kind of holding him back from doing everything that the job required. He wanted his set of rules to apply. Exactly. He wanted, he wanted God's set of rules to apply, not the Army's. Yeah, so he signs up. He finally finds a guy to kind of back him up but teach him the right way. Kind of finds a disciple. Lear? disciple Sure. Okay. Talking about Major Buxton, who sends him home to think about it. He comes back after Major Buxton kind of wears those shoes that I was talking about earlier, where he kind of helps to change someone's mind on what uh, what they're thinking and what reality is. Absolutely. Then he's in the Argonne Forest in France, facing down a machine gun battalion. 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 Not one machine gun. Not some Yahoo out there with one gun. <laughs> right. If, if I was keeping up with the math while I was reading this, which is hard for me to read and do math, yeah. uh, I think he killed 22. Yeah. And he took 132 prisoner. So that's 155, 54. That's pretty good with uh, a guy with armed with a pistol and a rifle. Isn't it? For a guy who didn't want to kill, I'm guessing, six months, a year ago. I think he decided that he had some righteous anger. Yeah, that's a good story, but, I mean, not but, but you know what I mean. It's just kind of going back to talking about tough men. Tough men of faith, even. Men that are stepping not, up. Not just a tough man. Yeah, that kind of takes me right into my first point on being a tough man, and I think it's uh, it goes into leadership. Can, can we take him out to chop wood with us? Uh, you could try calling him. I don't know if he's still around. Yeah, he's not. Let's find another York. He'd be an interesting guy to talk to. Maybe I should have answered that last week. Yeah. He would be an interesting guy to hang out with for a while. Usually those old war guys, though, they don't tell their stories. They don't, but he could probably disciple us. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I got to thinking about leadership a little bit. You got your Bible handy? Sure. Cool. Can you uh, read uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 6? Sure. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." 
Kind of holds a lot, doesn't it? Man, that's a whole lot. Yeah, kind of get a lot of volume there just reading six verses. But I was thinking about that a little bit, and if you continue to think in that direction, how God leads the church, but a man leads the people in the body, that man is kind of the captain of the boat. Those are some tough requirements. Yeah, they are. I don't think we all, I don't think we meet them all. No. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. But yeah, how I was thinking about that is uh, if you continue to think in this direction, God leads the church, but a man leads the people in that body. He is the captain of the ship, and he has lots of sailors that work under him. You know, people with the same ideals, the same values, people that want to see the church moved into a positive direction. A lot of this goes for business owners and upper management folks as well. There's a head or a captain, and there's lots of moving parts or sailors under him with the same goals in mind, kind of to help drive that ship. I just think that's so true, and it's amazing that he lets us do anything. Yeah. I mean, when you look at humans, yeah, man, if you will, yeah, man. It's, it's amazing he trusts us with anything. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this. I think a lot of men would do themselves a lot of good if they kind of did a personal self-assessment. Time to reflect a little and see if they are a captain or a sailor. There are a lot of people out there that make great sailors, but they're not very good captains. And on the flip side of that, there are a lot of people out there that would make great captains, but they haven't put aside their sailor ways, if that makes sense. Oh, that's fair. There's a lot of things when you're being the boss or your management or when you're the leader of something, there's a lot of activities that you can't engage in. There's a lot of things that you can't be a part of. But that's okay because I don't always need to be a part of everything. Absolutely. And a lot of people, funny you say that. Yeah. It's a little off topic. Go ahead. Can I stray a little bit? Oh, yeah. Stray a little bit. Go down the Uh, rabbit hole. A lot of guys don't go to church because they think they got to give everything up. Right. When really you find a bunch of freedom. Yeah. That's the part that I didn't I didn't get. Let me speak for me. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of guys out there that still don't get that. Yeah. They don't understand that freedom you get in Christ is really liberating. Yeah. Like it just, it gets a bunch of the trash out of the way and I'm not worried about that stuff anymore. Yeah. And I can focus on something that's important. Yep. Like my family or what I can do for my church. Like I told myself I was going to sneak it in somehow that, you know, we need to be a friend. Like tough men need to be a friend. Yeah. Of the church. Yeah. And, you know, when you're a friend, when there's a need and they call, when a buddy calls and says, hey, man, I got a question, uh, whether it's about a water heater or a garage door opener (laughs) um, or how to shoot trap or how to play golf or whatever it is, um, you're there and you answer it for them, right? Yeah. Like, that's just what you do and you don't even think about it. Right. But it's funny, people don't want to treat the church like a friend. Right. So that might uh, might be something to think about for some guys out there. I got my water heater fixed, by the way. Nice. Yeah. I just unplugged it and plugged it back into the wall. Nice. My wife, who took a cold shower this morning, came home to me taking a very nice hot shower. <laughs> and she was a little uh, peeved, to might, say the least. Might have been a little agitated. Yeah, a little bit agitated. Nice. Uh, where was I? I kind of lost my spot there. I'm good at helping you do that. Yeah. It's a gift. Leaders, well, especially good leaders, you know, have to wear a different hat. That's kind of what I was saying. You know, there's just certain things that they can't, there's certain hats that they can't wear and still be a good and effective leader. Hurts your testimony. It does. It hurts your testimony. I was also kind of adding to that a little bit, that everyone wants to be the boss until there are tough decisions to make. And then when that day comes, most will gladly accept the position of not chief. Right, sailor. Happy to be a sailor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were talking about that the other day. We were talking about, we're here in Indianapolis. Most people know that. Yeah. Uh, so we are talking about the Colts. Yeah. And uh, we're talking about how, you know, when they win, the coach needs to give credit to the players. Right. And when they lose, the coach needs to take the blame. Yeah. And it's tough when you're a leader like that. That's what you got to do. 
Yeah, so the wins aren't for you. And the, and loses, the losses are. are. Yeah. And, uh, and that seems uncomfortable. Yep. It's not as bad as you might think, though. Right. It's really not because it's really great to stand there and be able to hand that out to somebody yep. and say, man, I really appreciate it. We couldn't have done this without you. Yeah, exactly. That's probably one of the most rewarding parts of being a business owner, a manager, a leader, a Absolutely. The captain of the ship. Yeah. You know, anytime um, you're in a leadership position, whether it's men's group or yep. your, your business or yeah, it's, anything. It's always good to watch other people succeed or help the, help drive the team and then be able to give them all of the credit for it. And by the way, if these two podcasts go well, yeah. I'm going to need you to do that. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's move on. I was kind of thinking of uh, another point to kind of drive home would be like staying the course in your faith and in your everyday life. You know, we've kind of touched on this in the past in podcasts, but you know, the roads road gets rocky. The waves seem to be too big, you know, to safely pass. But I think one thing that separates men from tough men is that tough men are able to kind of stay the course or will find a way to stay the course to keep on track and to keep moving forwards towards that end goal. Oh yeah. You got to keep your focus for sure. Definitely have to keep your focus. Makes me think of Peter walking on the water. Yeah. He took his eyes off. He he lost focus for a minute. Right. And he starts sinking. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. You know, just kind of looking at men and, you know, how easy it is to give up. You hear bad news, you quit. You see the waves starting to swell, you turn back. You know, staying the course, seeing it through, whatever task is kind of before you. And I think a lot of that goes with faith, too. And just because sometimes it's so hard to stay on course with your faith. And we slip up, we we mess up. And I I think that's the great thing about Christianity is that uh, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. Hey, remember when I said get connected at church? Yeah. Hey, you know, that's why when you start slipping up, if you're connected, Right. Somebody will snatch you by the back of the shirt. Right. They'll gib slap you on the back of the head. Yeah. And tell you, hey, Nick, don't do that. Right. It's kind of that sit down, shut up friend that we've talked about in other podcasts. Absolutely. But if you're not connected. Right. Nobody knows. Yeah. You don't have that guy to do that. Nobody knows. Right. And then you just fall between the cracks and you're gone. Yep. I cracked open my Bible last night. Matthew chapter 8, 23 to 27. I'm going to read it real quick. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I read that last night, and I'm thinking from my point of view, did Jesus talk trash to them afterwards? Oh, the, there's tons of sarcasm in the Bible. Oh, ye if, of little faith. If you woke me up for some winds and some waves. Right? <laughs> I thought about that last night, and just stay the course. You know who's on your boat with you. Right. Somebody's going to be mad at me. Yeah. I was told not to make anybody mad. Yeah, you would be all right. But there's some snarky people in the Bible. Oh, yeah. And Jesus can be one of them. <laughs> he's, he's got a little bit of yeah. a, a wit to him yeah. and, a, and a little snap, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, and so do, well, obviously, Peter does. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they can be a little sharp sometimes. Right. But it's always well-placed. It's, yeah. like, it's like, hey, man, come on. Right. Oh, ye of little faith. You've got Christ in the boat. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're going to be fine. One way or the other, you're going to be fine. Right. I don't know. I I just I started thinking about that last night. And I'm like, I'm thinking I'd talk trash the whole way. They're, they're on this lake. I would talk trash the whole way there. Can I believe you woke me up? You know how good I was sleeping. Maybe I'm wrong. So another great thing that I was thinking about was being able to fill voids or to be like a delegator. You know, noticing, first off, seeing where there's a void and knowing that it needs filled. That's easy to do. It is. Turning it Filling over. It, to... If it becomes your calling or your duty to do so, though, that's not always easy to do. Turning things over to somebody else is hard. Turning things over to somebody else is easy, unless you worry about that thing getting done right. <laughs> Which is hard. That, that is hard. Or not necessarily just right, but just in the way that you think it should be done. 
Ooh, danger. Exactly. So I think if you can kind of take that role, you can fill a void, you can personally, or you can delegate somebody else to do it. I think that that is another really good quality of uh, somebody that's in a leadership position. Absolutely. And if you know your people, like if you are actually discipling them and you hang out with them and you know them, yeah, you're comfortable turning it over. Yeah, absolutely. Which a lot of times when you don't want to turn it over, and, and man, I've, I'm going to put this hat on right now. Yeah. I wasn't doing my job. So right. I wasn't comfortable. I hadn't done my job. Yeah. Teaching somebody, coaching them, counseling them. And so I didn't want to turn stuff over to them because I was worried about what they were going to do because I didn't have any experience with them. Right. Shame on me. I've worn that hat before. But I was thinking about you a little bit the other night. We had a meeting. <laughs> and while you were generally the captain in your life, I watched you become a sailor the other day. And it was awesome. I saw someone that was put in charge of assigning tasks to you. I watched you kind of get a little snarky and push back, and you told him. You said, okay, you can give me direction. That's fine. You set the direction. You set the pace, and I will push this as fast and hard as I need to to that's, get it done. That's a quote, too, yeah. Is it? Uh, yeah, you quoted that pretty well. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, But I was thinking about it. That person that was in that meeting, they'll probably take that with them for a long time. If I'm going to be put into a leadership position, if I'm going to put into a delegating position, I need to set that pace and that direction and be able to put somebody in place there that can push it as far as I want it to be pushed. That's good because that was the second thing I wanted to say. What's that? So I'm glad he's going to take that with him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then I think kind of the final point was learning. Hey, by the way, he's yeah. a good guy. That guy that was handing out tasks. He's a great guy. I just want to make sure that didn't come out wrong. Oh, no. He's a good guy. I think final thing is learning. Um, never stop learning because that's kind of the next time you're going to be wrong or the next time you're not going to have it all figured out. If you're not learning something new every day, then maybe you need to kind of expand your field of view a little bit. You should be learning something new every day, whether it's minute, whether it's huge. You should be learning something new every day. And knowing that you don't have it all figured out and that you can adapt and learn and adapt and learn some more. No, no, nobody's got it all figured out, but we need to make sure that we can learn on a daily basis and kind of continue moving forward. Absolutely. So that's kind of all I really have on... So I just, just want to make sure I'm clear on that. Being a tough man. So I'm, That's I'm, not all I have on being a tough man. That's all I have for today. Gotcha. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, thank you. So I just want to make something clear. Sure. I'm not too old to keep learning. You're not too old to keep learning. Okay, I just oh. want to make sure because you the got a lot, of old, you got gonna, lot of old jokes about me. Yeah, the print is going to get bigger. The glasses are going to get a little thicker, but you're not too old to keep using both of those things and learning. Awesome. I had somebody who couldn't be with us tonight, RT, left me a little quote today and said, you figure out how to use it. And I wanted to make sure that I did. Just remember what Will Rogers said, not Mr. Rogers, different Rogers. The road to success is dotted with many tempting parking spaces. Get out of park and start driving. Oh, yeah. That's kind of got me thinking a lot today. That's what we're doing here right now. We're driving. Yeah. We're not parked. We're definitely not parked. We're sitting still, but we're moving forward. Yep. So anyway, I want to thank you, Bill, for being on this episode with us. I think the next episode, which will be episode 16, we are going to do a question and answers scenario via social media. Um, I think RT is going to be back. And we invite you to put your questions on those social media sites. I think there'll be a thread for it on uh, Facebook, Tough Men of Faith, and maybe Instagram. I'm not really sure how that one works. I don't really use that one. But you're somebody's going to figure it out. You're a little bit old for that. Yeah, thank you. There's an old joke for me, finally. But yeah, RT will be back, and uh, we're going to answer those questions. I think it's going to be a really good time. So thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time on Tough Men of Faith. Thanks for listening. 